As we make our way through the book of Acts, we're going to encounter on several occasions the gift of tongues. And I thought it would be good for us to take time and see what the Bible has to say about it in one Bible study rather than every time we land on tongues trying to say a few things about it and move on. I think we'll get a better idea as to what the gift of tongues is. Is it for today? When we see it operating in places today, is that what is biblical? Has it passed away? Because there are those who believe that the gift of tongues was only for the first generation, for the foundation of the church. We know that one day they will pass away. The question is, have they ceased now? The title of our message is A Biblical Overview of the Gift of Tongues. We are not interested in opinions. We're not interested in the opinions of, of people on either side. We want to know what the Bible has to say about it. We realize that those who believe that tongues are not at all for today can often point to the extremes. They show videos of people flopping on the floor and speaking in tongues and going crazy and it's out of control. And I can tell you when I see videos like that, I think to myself, I don't want to be aligned with that. That's not what the Bible talks about the gift of tongues being. That side will often talk about the side who doesn't believe that they are for today, and they'll say things like, they don't believe in miracles, which is certainly not true. Someone who doesn't believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for today, and that the sign gifts are still given to the church, believes that God is moving, touching, saving, healing. They believe that God's doing all of those things. They just don't believe they are special gifts from the Holy Spirit. Now, I certainly can't speak for everybody, right? There's this wide range of what people end up believing. And so that's why we want to approach the Bible to find out what we believe. We know we can have confirmation biases. What do I mean by that? That means that we've learned something. We've grown up in an environment. We learned the way that it was taught. And so we go to the scriptures to find something to support what I already believe. That's a very bad way to do Bible study. In fact, it's almost a sure way to get things wrong. The only way you're not going to get things wrong is if you believe everything 100% right. And that might be you. I don't know. Maybe you're here and you've got nothing, absolutely nothing that you believe that's wrong. But for the rest of us, we want to approach the word of God so we can find out how we are to live and what God wants for us so we can discover what the truth is because that's what the Word of God is given to us for. And uh, I want to, first of all, start by covering our text. I want to cover it all the way through. This is not just a reading. I want to cover and get some things out of the way. And then I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say about tongues and how they're applied and if they are for today. Now, remember that the gift of the Holy Spirit had already been given in the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. The, the room that they were in was suddenly a, a rushing wind came in. And then there were divided tongues of fire that was on each one of their heads. They were divided because they were not a giant fireball over their heads, but over each of their heads. They represented, as we talked about last week, the power or the infilling of, the, of God, the presence of God in the life of believers. This, the, the, this, this, this fire, was it literal? Uh, was it metaphor? It wasn't a metaphor. Uh, it, it was real in the sense that it wasn't a real fire, but it was really the Holy Spirit. The wind rushing in wasn't a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a wind, a literal wind. It was the Holy Spirit. 
which in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for spirit is also wind. And the Holy Spirit came rushing into their lives. And the last thing they did was they spoke in tongues. Now that's where we pick it up in verse five. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. So when the wind comes in and there's the fire and they're talking in tongues, the multitude that's there in Jerusalem come in. They're probably in the temple. They're probably in one of the porch areas or a room by the porch. And there's been commotion when the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. By the way, there is no question that this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said, uh, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. As John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the baptizing event. This is the event in which the, the Spirit immersed the church. And then it says, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then it gives a list, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the dwelling of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome with both Jews and proselytes. Those are those who became Jewish. They weren't born Jewish, but they became. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now that's the first thing I want to point out. What did they hear them speaking? Here we have people who can understand what's being said. And how exactly this gift operated on the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit over the church, we're not quite sure. Were all of the disciples speaking in different languages? Did they receive gifts? And, and it would be more than the disciples, by the way. There are probably 120 gathered together. And did they receive the gift of tongues? And now they're speaking in a language they don't know, but it's a real language that people are hearing. Or was it a, a, a tongue that they spoke, which God did a work on the ears of the hearers, so they heard it in their own language? I don't know that the text tells us which one of those is true, but the hearer understood they, as it were, had the gift of interpretation. This is different than what we find later on in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians especially, okay? Uh, also, it says that they heard the, that they were preaching and saying the wonderful works of God. So in their tongues, they were worshiping God. They were praising him. They were speaking of the wonderful works of God. We're gonna see a little bit later on that the Bible tells us when a person speaks in tongues, his spirit speaks to God that when they heard them speaking in tongues, they heard them magnifying God. Tongues is praise. Tongues is you praying or speaking to God. Therefore, the interpretation of tongues will always be praise. It will not be thus says the Lord. Now, I've got a charismatic and a Pentecostal background. 
for about four years, maybe even five years of my life. I went to an Assembly of God's church. I went to a charismatic church, which was very out there, really out there. I went to a four-square church. Both the Assembly of God church that I went to and the four-square church that I attended were both solid churches. But they did allow certain things to kind of happen and take place. And there would be one gal, and I've shared this before, who I knew was going to speak in tongues every week. During like the like third or fourth song, but she didn't just speak in tongues. She had like a shrill voice that she used. It was a special voice for her. It was her tongue's voice. And she would use it. And I had to tell people before they came, to, when I invited them to church, when they would say, okay, I'll go with you. I would have to say, now after the third song, there's going to be a gal. She's going to go off. She's speaking in tongues. I just want you to know what this is. And then somebody else is going to say, thus says the Lord, I'm going to use Foursquare Park Church in a really powerful way. And that's almost exactly what would happen. But that was never the interpretation. That was, could have been a prophecy. Maybe God was moving in prophecy with that individual, but it wasn't the interpretation because they're speaking the wonderful works of God. This is something we're going to establish more as we continue on. So then it says, verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. And these two groups are still around today. There are those when they hear of the gifts of the Spirit that say, whatever could this mean? They're interested. Is this something from God? Is this not something from God? Is this something for me? Is it not something for me? And then there are others who will mock. And unfortunately, in the church today, in the days of videos being taken, there's enough people that do really bizarre things that it's easy to mock them for them. But I would just say, don't allow someone to take a video of the extreme and make you turn away from something that God might have for you. What would be the balanced version of it? And I'm going to show you that as we make our way through here. So there's these two groups. One says they're full of new wine. They're drunk. Another one says, what could these things be? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let, it, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I think it could have had a better argument towards that. Of course, we have Ephesians, right, five now, that says don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So we could say we're not drunk because we don't get drunk with wine, but here he just says it's the third hour, it's only the third hour of the day, which would be up nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He doesn't mean Christians and non-Christians. He means all Christians. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to kings, to prophets, uh, to different individuals, uh, judges, and the Holy Spirit could be taken like it was from Saul. But in our day, the Holy Spirit is poured out on every believer and every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, um, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy that speak for God or tell the future. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. These are supernatural events. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So if you are a manservant or a maidservant of God, then the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you. And then he says, and they shall prophesy. So there's the idea of prophecy again, speaking for God, knowing something he would have you say. I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath, 
blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness. He's still quoting Joel. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So talking about pouring out the Spirit in the last days, he goes all the way to the return of Christ. Why? Because that's the church age. And the Holy Spirit is given to the church during the entire church age. It's not just been given for the foundation, but throughout the entire church age, the Holy Spirit was given. And then he ends with this. This is a great statement for the giving of the Holy Spirit for the church. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We receive power to be witnesses when we receive the Holy Spirit. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now let's take a look. Now that we've got that foundation laid, let's take a look at other places the Bible talks about the gift of tongues. Surprisingly, it's not that many places for as many things that are said about tongues. We find Jesus talking about it in the book of Mark. We find it several places in the book of Acts. And then we find it a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. The, the church at Corinth was a mess. They were doing all kinds of things wrong. Paul starts the letter to the Corinthians and he says this, I wish I could talk to you as to spiritual, but I cannot for you are carnal. He calls them carnal right off the bat. And so what we see in Corinth is a carnal church platforming, pushing tongues, I think beyond where God wants them to be, and Paul having to come in and correct their behavior to get them to the right place, that they would put value on what's supposed to be more valuable as he makes his way through Corinth. I also think that helps us to understand that maybe we are not supposed to platform tongues as much as what people think. People will come and say, we, you guys, Calvary Chapel, believe in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Well, how come you don't have tongues happening within this church, the services? The answer to that is the Holy Spirit gives these things as he wills. And it's not something we want to make happen. We don't want to make something happen. We want the Holy Spirit to do it. And if the Holy Spirit does it, then great. If there's someone who speaks in tongues and there's someone who gives an interpretation of that tongue and it's done decently and in order, then it's fine. You say, well, I don't know that you leave room for that. Well, let's see. Let's, let's see what happens. I can tell you that throughout, we've been a church for 38 years. Through it, we, we provided times for the Holy Spirit to move during that time. And there's an ebb and flow of when gifts have been more prominent in Calvary Tucson and when they haven't been when the gift of tongues has been more prevalent than others. And I think it's something, and I heard John Piper of all people talking about this. John Piper was talking about the gift of tongues and he believes it therefore today. And he was saying that it's something that you've got to constantly talk about from the pulpit to see it right now happening, or you wait for the Holy Spirit to do it, to begin to move and to allow these things to happen. And I think we'll start to see them happening in our smaller groups. I think we'll start to see it happening in our, in our times of worship when we gather together for just worship. We'll start to see those happen and they will work their way into the main service if this is something the Holy Spirit wants for today. But Corinth over-platformed it. They pushed it forward. They put tongues way out there in front and churches have been copying Corinth. When what Paul does is grab a hold of the reins and try to pull it back. Try to get it back into its proper place. 
So in Mark 16, 17 and 18, Jesus said this, and these signs will follow those who believe. This is a collective those who believe. These signs are going to follow every, um, all Christians together. Not everyone's going to do each one of them. And you'll see that. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Not every Christian's going to cast out demons, but people in the church do cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Not everybody's going to speak with new tongues, but some are. They will take up serpents. Praise the Lord. Not everybody's going to take up serpents, but some will. And they will drink, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Again, not everybody's going to drink poison and survive, but some do. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not everybody's going to lay hands on the sick, but some are going to lay hands on the sick and they are going to recover. And miracles do happen today. There's a two-volume set by Craig Keener called Miracles. And if you are skeptical that miracles are happening, what he does in that volume is he takes genuine miracles and that are documentable and he documents them, interviewing the people involved, interviewing the doctors, so that there are genuine miracles that take place on a regular basis within the church today. We don't see a lot of them. There were 28 miracles in the book of Acts, and there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. There, it's not like they happened every moment. It seems like they did when we read it. And within the church today, there are miracles that happen. And there are times when we don't see them for a while. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which I said was a mess. The church is an absolute mess. They're doing all kinds of things wrong. They're allowing people to stay there that are, are that the guy's sleeping, we think, with his mother-in-law. And they're allowing him and even proud that he's there. They are misusing tongues because this is all a corrective letter on how you're supposed to use tongues. So they're misusing tongues. Uh, there are all kinds of other problems that are taking place. Um, I know a guy that did a, a series in Corinthians and he called it Church Gone Wild, which is a pretty good name for the study of the church of Corinth. So in chapter 12, he deals with, tongue, with gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And he says in 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So different gifts, different activities, different spirits, which means that the same gift can look different in different places. So I believe I have the gift of teaching and over in the Sunday school is someone that also has the gift of teaching and they're ministering in a different way on a different level with a gift that looks different than my gift. Someone else has a home fellowship and they have the gift of teaching. And there, it's a different activity. So the Spirit can use the same gift, but the gift can work differently and look differently among people. That's what it's saying. It goes on to say, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit, manifestation meaning evidence, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all, which is not the gift of tongues. That's one of the things that's added. Here's what happens within the Spirit-filled communities. They also, not only do they believe the gifts are for today, but they believe that there is divine revelation, that God can give you a revelation that is 100% truth. And so they put divine revelation on the same level as scripture. So they can, can, can say with authority, because that's their authority, divine revelation, they could say with authority, 
the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is tongues. Does the Bible ever say that? No. But when you go to them and say, where's the scripture for that? They don't need it because they lift up divine revelation. Now, that's a problem. It's a problem to put anything on the level of scripture. Why? Because we've been given this that's been handed down through the church and vetted and comes to us with such incredible reliability. But as far as somebody standing up and saying, God told me that everyone who has the Spirit has the Holy Spirit, I mean, speaks in tongues, that's not vetted. That person's not vetted for me. That's a, that's a problem when you put it there. I, I talk about the, the, the Catholic Church as well. And there, there are Christians, obviously, in the Pentecostal Church and obviously in the Catholic Church, genuine Christians. But the Catholic Church puts tradition up alongside of the Scriptures. And so they end up doing things like praying to Mary and praying to saints that are not biblical because their authority is tradition. And if you go to them and say you shouldn't pray to Mary, they're going to say, handed down to us through the Papa Papacy is the tradition of praying to Mary. And to them, it's just as powerful. But to me, it's a problem because it hasn't been vetted because so many things have been said that have been retracted. There's a problem with it. So I think that the, the Catholic Church should return to the scriptures as their main authority. And I think that the spirit-filled churches should have the scriptures as their main authority. And they're gonna save themselves a lot of getting out of where they should be. And the idea that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is tongues is just wrong. And I'll show you that as we make our way through here. It's also wrong to say that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. And can I say with all respect, that's crazy. You're talking gibberish when you're saying that you've got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Okay, that's out of pocket. It's aberrant theology from Christianity. And the crazy thing is, is you could talk to someone who believes that speaking in tongues, uh, that if you're saved, you're going to speak in tongues, and you could give them the argument of baptismal regeneration. There are people who believe the miracle of, of salvation happens at baptism, and they're going to be able to battle that really well. But they can't see it on their own side. Again, because they put special revelation. There's no place the scripture says, when you're saved, you're going to speak in tongues. But, but divine revelation has revealed it to them, and they put that as an authority. That's, as I said, a problem. So he says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith through the same Spirit, to another healings, the gifts of healings. Notice that's gifts of healings, both plural, which would seem to indicate the person receives the gifts of healings and, and prays for one person. If a person had the gift of healing, if that was, was a gift where I could just get the gift of healing and everybody I prayed for was healed, everybody in the United States would know my name. I would have already emptied the hospitals if I had that gift. That's what we would do. We would go, let's go heal people. I've got the gift of healing. But it's gifts of healings, meaning God chooses to give it to some people for certain points in times. So it's gifts of healings. That person's been given a gift of healing for that particular place. Gifts of healings. It goes on to say, in the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues. And that phrase, different kinds of tongues. What exactly does that mean? Does he just know one tongue? Different kinds of tongues? 
to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing them to individuals as He wills. So it's the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts and oversees the operation of the gifts, not the pastors of churches. People can, can put things out of balance and out of whack, but we want the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, we do not all have the gift of tongues. I've made this point already, but I want to read you 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 31. Are all apostles? What's the obvious answer to that? No. Are all prophets? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. The reason we know all of those are no is because it says do all interpret, but later on he's going to say if you're in church, don't speak in a tongue if there's no interpreter. So you can... Not everybody has the gift of interpretation. So not everybody speaks in tongues, no matter what divine revelation has been given to whoever. And then it says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And this is why we should desire the gifts of God, but earnestly desire them. This is God's word. It doesn't say earnestly desire the best gifts until the foundation of the church is done, but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. Then we are told that tongues are not the most important thing. Right in between 1 Corinthians 12, which is about the gift of the, spirits and the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 14, which is about tongues, that's what that chapter is all about, is 1 Corinthians 13. And I know that's not really profound unless you know what it's about, and that is love. That more important than the operation of the gifts of the Spirit is love. So it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. If love is not my motivation, even if I speak in the tongue of angels, then I'm just making noise. I'm banging cymbals. And banging cymbals is not very nice. You're just making noise. Now we are also told that someday tongues will cease. This is in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. It says, love never fails. Same chapter that started off, if I speak of the tongues of men and angel. It says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Prophecies are a spiritual gift. Where there are tongues, they will fail. That's a spiritual gift. Uh, they will cease. And where there is knowledge, another spiritual gift, it will vanish away. So this is where cessationists, those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer in action today, get the cease from. That's what cessationist means, to cease. And we are at Calvary Tucson, at Calvary Chapel in general, we are continuationists. We believe that the Spirit continues to work. It says, uh, but when that which is perfect has come, well, oh, for, for now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am known. Now, the two views. One says that the, the giving of the canon of Scripture that was not put together when the, the letter was written to Corinthian, the Corinthians is the fulfillment, is that which is perfect that has come. And God's Word is everything that we need. It's, it's perfect for what God has given us. But that which is perfect 
The, the scriptures do not do what the very last verse says, says there. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. We still don't know a lot of things. Today, I did a Q&A where we talked about, does God love people or hate people? And there's a passage that says, God hates all those who do iniquity, Psalms 5, 5. And then for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Then there's a passage that says that while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. So does he hate those in iniquity or does he love those in iniquity? One day, I'm gonna say, how did that all work? Because I'm trying to put it together. I'm like, there's a way God loves people and there's a way God hates people, but it's not really clear to me. By the way, if you have clarity on that passage, I'd love to hear it, all right? I'd love to get more of that. And then it says, we will know face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know just as we are known. I don't know just as I am known. One day I will know him just as I am known, but I don't know now just as I'm known. So that's when they'll cease. When that which is perfect has come is Jesus. He is perfect. The scriptures point us to Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they that speak of me. So that which is perfect is Christ. The scriptures are perfect for what they are supposed to do in our lives and how God uses scripture. But Christ is the perfect one, and that's when tongues will cease when, they, when, when he returns. Let me give you another verse. This is going to help us. Acts 2, 38 and 39. This is the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Then Peter said to them, repent, and let everyone be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. That's pretty clear. The promise is to you and your children afar off, as many as God will call. Now, what are tongues? We talked about speaking the wonderful works of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now this has never been rescinded. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. This is something you should do on your own, quietly before God, and say, Lord, I want, to be, I want spiritual gifts. You said to desire them. He's gonna tell them, pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you can prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. So when you speak in a tongue, you don't speak to men, thus says the Lord. That's prophecy. Instead, you speak to God. So it's a better gift in the church to have prophecy than it is tongues, unless there's an interpreter. So in Acts 2, we hear them speaking the wonderful works of God. And here the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. This is, we call this the Gentile baptism in the spirit. Peter is up on his rooftop, remember? He used to go to Cornelius' house. He goes and he starts preaching the gospel to them. While he's preaching the gospel, they start speaking in tongues. So verse, um, Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished for as, came, for as many as came with Peter 
because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This blew their mind. Up to this point, it was Jews who had received the Spirit. Now Gentiles have received it. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. When a person speaks, they speak to God. They magnify God. They speak of the wonderful works of God. Every time that we hear what tongues is, it's always in that category of praise. Now, tongues also edify you. If you have the gift of tongues, then when you pray in tongues, it's self-edification. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So I have the gift of tongues, and I pray in tongues generally when I am distraught. It is something extremely private for me, it's hard for me to even tell you that I pray in tongues because it's so private for me. It's something immensely personal in my life that when I am distraught, I, I pray in tongues and there's something that is edifying about it. It's just my personal experience of living out what is here. I received the gift of tongues when I was just shortly after I was saved. And I went to the wild charismatic church, which is a crack up. And it's there that I received the gift of tongues. Now, we, uh, we edify ourselves. Also, when the church is together, it is better to have other gifts. When we're gathered together, it's better for other gifts to operate instead of tongues. This is something that the Wild Charismatic Church and quite frankly, the Solid Assembly of God Church and Foursquare Church didn't practice. In 1 Corinthians 14, 6, it says, now, but now, brethren, I come to you if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophecy or by teaching? So revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching are all edification for the body. But speaking in tongues isn't. 1 Corinthians 14, 9 says, so likewise, unless you utter by the tongue the words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air. Here, of course, he's assuming that there's no interpreter. But if someone's speaking in tongues, if you go into church and everybody together is speaking in tongues, they're all speaking into the air, there's nothing happening that's edifying the body. You might as well do that at home alone because there you'll be edified and you're like being edified now. But if we praise him together, if we were sitting here for a teaching, then there's an edification of the body of Christ. Now, in the church, uh, in the church, he says, speak with understanding. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 15 through 19. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in my understanding. I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing in my understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? So if I get up here and talk in tongues, which I watched a few videos of today, pastors standing at the pulpit, speaking in tongues. He says, how is the uninformed gonna say amen? And at your giving of thanks. Notice that again, at your giving of thanks. What happens when you speak in tongues? Your spirit speaks mystery to God, mag the, magnif the magnificent works of God. So here it has the giving of thanks. So you're thanking God since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Saying something. 
Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others than 10,000 words in tongues. Five words in understanding within the setting of the church is, is 10,000 words in tongues. Five words in understanding is more powerful <coughs> than that. Just a few more. If all speakers, if, if all speak in tongues, the unbeliever is confused. <coughs> this is 1 Corinthians 14, 23 and 24. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in one who is uninformed, <coughs> excuse me, or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? If you've ever been in a church where everybody's speaking in tongues, if you look around, there's people going, not quite sure what's going on here. They're out of their mind. But if you prophesy and the unbeliever or an unbeliever person comes in, he is convinced, convinced by all and convicted by all. Now it also says that tongues are a sign to non-believers. This goes back to the Old Testament where there's a prophecy, I will speak to them in unknown languages to tongues given at the baptism of the church and that it is a sign of taking the message of the gospel to the world. Now also, it says, let all things be done for edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 29. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each has a psalm, each has a teaching, each has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. So there's a limit put on how much tongues can be used. There's never a mandatory statement. It doesn't say when you gather together every time, have the gift of tongues. But it says, don't let it be more than two or three who speak in tongues or prophet, all of it together. It says, uh, let there be at the most two or three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. That means you don't speak in tongues when you don't have an interpreter. Not everybody doesn't start speaking in tongues all at once. This is out of order. We're told in scripture not to do that. And let him speak to himself and God. So you can quietly pray in tongues where you are. If during worship you have the gift of tongues, you can speak to yourself and to God. You, you're not forbidden from speaking in tongues in church. You're just forbidden from making a scene. We're not saying you can't have the gift of tongues. We're not saying you can't speak in tongues. We're just saying you can't scream and holler and do it during a church service. That's a little tombstone statement, by the way, if you missed that. We're not saying you can't own a gun. Can't say you can't carry a gun. We're just saying you can't carry a gun in town. <laughs> right? So you can speak quietly. You can say, well, I want to pray in tongues in, in a church service. Then speak to yourself and quietly. That's what it says. But don't do it out loud where people are going to be confused unless there's an interpreter. So if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God and let two or three prophets speak. So that's two or three prophets on top of three, two or three that are interpreting and let the others judge. This tells us something very important and we'll get into it when we get into the book of Acts that prophecy and, and revelation and teaching, although these are all gifts, they are not inerrant. We judge. Let one prophesy and let the other judge. When I teach, you're judging what I'm saying. You're supposed to. 
You're supposed to see whether I'm misrepresenting the scriptures or whether I'm putting the, the dots together correctly. Just because I have the gift of teaching doesn't mean I have a higher authority than the Bible. Just because someone prophesies doesn't mean they're a higher or equal authority to the Bible. Just because someone has a revelation, it's not equal or, or, or above the Bible. They are all under and they are all to be judged. Why? Because this has been vetted through time and through the church. And we know we can trust it. And the reliability of the Bible is incredible. And the evidence for the reliability of the Bible is, is, is incredible. Although I've been a pastor for 38 years, and I hope that's some vetting. I hope you guys are like, he's been talking for 38 years. He hasn't led us too far astray, so we can trust him. I don't have the vetting that the Word of God has. Neither would I claim it. So one prophesies and the others judge. Now, those who prophesy get mad at this sometimes. They say, thus saith the Lord, and they give me a prophecy. And my statement is always, I, thank you, I'll judge that. And they're like, oh, well, well. one guy got so offended. He said, you're going you're to judge what I just, I have never been wrong. I wanted to say, can we get your wife up here? <laughs> Ask her if she thinks you've never been wrong. Because I bet you've been wrong before. No, it's very biblical. Now, just two more things. Hang on, we're almost done. Let all things be done decently and in order. The fruit of the Spirit, the very last one is self-control. Why would the Holy Spirit come upon a church and have them all get up and start acting like animals when the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? We can be sure that that is the move of the flesh, not the move of the Spirit. They're out of control. And if you ever watch any of those videos back from the Kansas City revival when they were, were had the laughing fits and the drunk in the Spirit and they acted like animals, They've got one particular video where a person comes up on stage and they've got a monitor there and the guy lifts his leg like he's peeing on, like he's a dog peeing on it. You think that's the Holy Spirit? This is what happens when men start saying that they speak for the Holy Spirit and they're getting out of control. No, let everything be done decently and in order and the fruit of the Spirit, one of them, is self-control. So 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40 says, uh, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. That's such an important verse that's never been rescinded. The Bible says don't forbid the speaking in tongues. It's really important because it tells us it's still going on today. There will be a day when we are in his presence, we won't need tongues because we'll be with him. But don't forbid the speaking of tongues. However, let all things be done decently and in order. That glorifies God. That's God through his spirit, which is self-control, doing a work, letting everything be done decently in order. And finally, the spirit gives the gifts as he wills. Again, not everyone has the gift of tongues. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one in the same spirit works all things, distributing to each individual as he wills. So we say, why in the late 60s and early 70s, were there a lot of people talking in tongues? Why in the charismatic Catholic movement was there such a move of the Spirit where there were people being filled with the Spirit in the Catholic churches and praying in tongues? Because the Spirit's giving gifts as He wills. He decides what He's going to do when He does it. And we don't want to manufacture anything. Right now, there's the move of what we hope is a revival in Asbury, Kentucky. 
One of the dangers is that people would start manufacturing it instead of letting the spirit move. We don't want a revival that's man-driven, right? We don't want, the, we don't want a move of the spirit to be, man, how could a move of the spirit be man-driven? It's as the Holy Spirit wills. And so we sit back and wait. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move, the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and then we'll move along with it. But it's He that wills. Now, three things in closing. Those who believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased still have the Spirit. They still believe in miracles. And I believe they still have the gifts of the Spirit. So when you've got someone who says, I'm a cessationist, I don't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I think they were for the foundation of the church. And when the last apostle died, the gifts of the Spirit were done. Even though people had gifts and I didn't have to wait for them to die, but whatever, that's what they say. It doesn't mean they don't have the gift of teaching. Doesn't mean they, they, that they don't have the gift of, of, of organization or whatever it might be. Doesn't mean they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to believe in the gifts of the Spirit to have the gifts of the Spirit operate in your life. And I would be very careful not to paint them in a dark light. We, we, don't, wanna, we don't wanna judge. Look, we believe that what I believe, I think most of us believe what they're believing is wrong, but that doesn't mean they don't have anything to offer. And it doesn't mean they don't believe in miracles or that God heals or touches or moves or brings revival. They believe in all of those things. They just don't believe that they're gifts that are given. They put them in another category, that's all. And so we don't wanna judge them too harshly. For those who believe in the spiritual gifts that have, not, that have not ceased, let's stay biblical. We've been given the gifts. They are so powerful. Why would we ever take them out of the biblical arena? Why would we say, the Bible says, do it decently and in order, but we're gonna do it indecently and out of order. Why would we do that? We want to keep everything as the scripture tells us. And where the Bible puts guidelines on it, that there be at most two or three, then let's keep those guidelines on it. Don't speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. So in the past, we've had people speak in tongues and then we wait. And, and, and I've said, let's wait a little longer. And so just to let people know what we're waiting for, we're waiting for an interpretation. And then no interpretation was given. And so I said, because no interpretation was given, we're not gonna allow any more tongues to be given tonight because we don't have an interpreter here with us because that's what the Bible says. And that's how we wanna be open. And that's how we would respond. You say, what would you do if somebody spoke in tongues in between songs at the set? First of all, as long as the group heard it because they're always away, the West Campus would be easier, but we would pause and we would wait for an interpreter. And if there's no interpreter, then, hey, if, if it begins to be practiced regularly, then we don't have to say we're not going to say any more tongues. We might give that little statement because there's no interpreter here, no one interpreted. We're not going to do it anymore. What would we do if in between a song, somebody said, thus says the Lord, I have a word for Calvary Chapel of Tucson, da, 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 da. What are we going to do if that happens? We're going to judge it because that's what we're told to do. Let two or three at the most prophesy. Let the others judge. The Bible also says don't despise prophecy. So when someone says something, you don't want to just immediately blow it off. I'm judging you. It's wrong. That's all prophecies are just wrong. It's it. No, we aren't to despise prophecy, but we're to hear it. 
and it can be done decently and in order, and we don't have to deny the scriptures or believe that they're not for today when I don't see anything clear that would reverse what he said in the book of Acts, what Peter said in the book of Acts, which is that this promise is for you and your children as far off as God will call. I don't see anything that would reverse that. Do I think that the Spirit moved in a special way at the foundation of the church, in a greater way than he moves in the larger arena of the church today? Probably. Sure. God built the church on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles, it says in Ephesians. So I do think that he was working in a special way to build the church in the very beginning. But that doesn't mean that these things that are clearly given to us in Scripture are not applied to us. And we want what the Word of God wants. We want, we want what God wants for us. I remember that as, a, as an, a young Christian going to a Pentecostal church, the Assembly of God church, and saying to God, I just want what you want. I want what you want. I'll tell you one more story about that and then I'll be done, I promise. Um, so they would slay people in the Spirit all the time at the Assembly of God church. You'd go line up in the front and they had catchers that would come behind you and they would lay hands on you and you'd fall back in their arms and then you'd be laid on the ground. I had a friend of mine who said, I will not go down unless it's real. I went down several times, but never for real. And so people will say to me, so you faked it? No, I wasn't faking it. I was wanting what God wanted for me. I wanted everything God had for me. And so they would ask, you want to come up and get prayer? And I would go up to the front. I got a catcher behind me. I know I'm not going to hit my head on a pew if I fall. And so the guy would pray for me and he'd say, put your hands up, put my hands up. And then he'd put his hand on my head and he'd pray for me and he'd give me a little shove. And I would just fall back. I know I got a catcher behind me. I'm not pretending. I'm just trying to give in to the Spirit, whatever the Spirit wants. And then I would lay on the ground for, I don't know, three or four minutes until other people were getting up around me and then I would get up. I was never genuinely slain in the Spirit, but I was genuinely open to whatever God would do. I wasn't faking it. I never told anybody, yeah, I got slain in the Spirit, and then my life changed dramatically. That's what they would say would happen. They get slain in the Spirit, and then they'd be down there for a while, and they'd say, man, I'm a new person now that I've been slain in the Spirit. No, you're a new person because Christ caused you to be born again, and the Holy Spirit filled you, and you're now a new person. And if there's an event that makes you more serious, you could get in a car crash and it could make you more serious about God, right? You could, you could have a close call that could make it more serious. And if God uses an event like that to make you more serious, praise God. That doesn't mean it's something we should pursue in the church. So we want to keep things extremely biblical. I've taken too much time. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. I can't talk this long tomorrow morning, by the way. It's going to be a much, much shorter sermon in the morning. Father, thank you that we can take time to consider the gifts of the Spirit today, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, whether or not the gifts of healings, whether or not these things have ceased, whether it's something that continues on today. And Lord, we say to you as a church, we're your church. We're not giving you permission to work in our midst. We're asking you to work in our midst. Do a work inside of us. Draw us to you. Lord, thank you that you've given us direction within your word. And I pray that we would earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The best ones, the ones that are best for us. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.